know, when COVID hits, you know, organizations that may have had, you know, 10 locations, now they have, could be 300 locations. Right. And what I mean by that is now all their employees are working from their homes. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Phil Keeney. He is a strategic thinker who has spent his career delivering technical strategies for businesses. Phil is the managing director of technology solutions at Stanbon Ness. Welcome to the show, Phil. Hey, thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. So we'd love to start by kind of picking your brain around some high-level trends happening with cybersecurity. Sounds good. And, you know, it's certainly a hot topic for sure. You know, we, we hear about this, you know, the cybersecurity stuff every day in the news. There's uh, somebody's getting hit at some point. And, you know, I, I would say probably the big, single biggest trend um, that's gaining traction uh, has certainly accelerated the shift in cloud technologies and the associated security systems. And of course, as we all know, that's COVID. You know, when COVID hits, you know, organizations that may have had, you know, 10 locations, now they have, could be 300 locations. Right. And what I mean by that is now all their employees are working from their home. So instead of 300 employees being in an office in five of those offices, now they're working from home. Mm -hmm. So then the question comes, how do we secure all those end users are now connecting from their home network networks. Right. And if we don't have hardware to deploy to them, they're using home PCs and those home PCs nine times out of 10 don't meet the compliance or the security requirements that the organization may have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you look at the trends there, cloud technologies has certainly uh, been a, a huge adopter here. And of course, you know, COVID accelerated that. Um, and, you know, typically, well, historically, most companies have viewed security primarily as an IT matter. Mm. Um, and I would say just due to the higher frequency of breaches, there's more recognizable names becoming targets. C-levels and board members alike are now, they're, they're becoming more um, active in the risk-making decisions as it revolves around cybersecurity. It's no longer you know, the folks at your organization or my organization saying, well, I think you know, this is what we need to put in place, policies, procedures. No, you know what? It's coming up, rolling up the leadership just from a risk and uh, you know, exposure to uh, the outside and the clients that, that they serve. Yeah, interesting. So over the last year, you've really seen that, that C-suite just kind of take more ownership of it or just more interest in it? I would say ownership because at the end of the day, uh, you know, in the event that there is a breach, it's not just the data side that needs to be tangled with, but it's also then you know, the market exposure. How do you remedy, how do you come back from, you know, a, a massive breach that takes your organization down? Because again, it's not just your data that you're protecting anymore. You're protecting all your clients' data that you filter through as well that come into your, comes into your system. So mm -hmm. those are things that the top, you know, C-levels, leadership, are taking into consideration as well. And it's nothing new, but I think through through the light of a lot of stuff that's been happening in the, in the market here, leadership board members are definitely taking a stronger approach into understanding how um, cybersecurity is being managed and the risks, you know, what, what they're putting in place to, to limit those risks applied to each organization. 
Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what then are some practical steps or, or policies that firms should, should look at implementing around cybersecurity? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, that, that could certainly be a loaded question, but I always, you know, my approach for every organization, because at the end of the day, you know, you can have someone out there that's trying to, you know, you, you can implement millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever dollar amount you want to apply to it from a cybersecurity perspective. There's so many tool sets out there. There's so much that you can spend on this front. Mm-hmm. But I so said, what organizations need to take a look at is from a common sense approach, you know, the comment that you made there, what, what are practical steps? Okay, there's a lot of impractical steps that you can take that just, you know, don't make sense from a fiduciary financial perspective, but yeah. what makes sense? Secure the perimeter, but also build resiliency. And what I mean by that is take a look at your budget, understand your risks, not only to yourself, but to your clients. And say, okay, you know what? Here's who we can allocate from a spend perspective to secure our perimeter, build the firewalls, build the connections, put the MFA tool sets in place. All these things, because hey, all, the more you put in place, the more somebody has to manage. Mm-hmm. Put the appropriate tool sets in place, the individuals in place, and then build a resiliency plan. In, because as we know, it's not a matter of when, it's a matter of if. So if you become you know, if your infrastructure becomes breached, if your business is breached, how do you bounce back from that? That's it, that resilience uh, piece of it. Right. And that's making sure you have a solid disaster recovery plan in place. That's tested. So many people throw a disaster recovery plan in place and does it work? Well, I don't know. What is your uptime? What is your downtime in, in the event that you are breached? So ensure that you have, there's updated cybersecurity policies in place as well as another one. So many people have their professional liability policy and they make the assumption, hey, this is going to cover it. Add the cybersecurity liability policy with it. This Mm -hmm. adds additional coverage. So make sure you reach out to your provider and take a look at that. But building that perimeter, creating that resiliency would definitely reduce your risk and give not only yourself, leadership, your organization, your your client base, a peace of mind saying, hey, this organization's got their stuff together. Yeah. And I imagine it's it's one thing to bounce back. That's that's great, but it, it's also the speed in which you bounce back that matters. Oh, 100%, Todd. And, that, and that's just it. And that's, every organization should go through the uh, process of, because again, we work with organizations across the globe. Every organization, their tolerance level for being down is different. Every right. organization, when you first out of the gate say, well, you know, how long can you be down? Well, I can't be down at all. You know, I've got I've to be up and running all the time, especially in the in the AEC world, you know, right. if people aren't working, guess what? That's billable time that you've got people sitting around that they're not billed at 90, 95, 125 bucks an hour. They're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that the, the resiliency plan there, yeah, they need to be operating at full capacity all the time. So their bounce back plan, their disaster recovery plan has to be solid. But again, I go into some other organizations and they make that same comment and say, we need it, we can't have downtime. Great, fantastic. We'll build the solution that will create that. And then when you present that solution, it's like, we can't afford that. that that's just too much. And then they, then they truly, and again, it's, it's peeling back the onion. Sure. They sit back and they say, okay, what is economical? You know, what can we afford? You know, if we're going to spend $20,000 a year in IT cybersecurity to have that, that resiliency, that, that, that backup plan, but our downtime for 10 hours out of the course of, or 24 hours out of the course of the year may be 
$8,000. So that's where that happy me that balances. Well, I can afford to be down for 24 hours because it's going to cost me eight grand versus spending 20 for the year. And again, right. those are things that each organization needs to evaluate on their own. And yeah. another one there, you had to ask the, the practical steps and policies. I mean, my goodness, you, I always tell people if, if it weren't for the mouse in their hand, a little clicker in their hand, we wouldn't be having half of the <laughs> But it's because people become click happy. And guess what? It comes through email phishing. Yeah. You know, email phishing accounts, so the tax on accounts account for approximately 90% of all breaches within any given organization. And that's because people, you know, they're, they're in it every single day in their email, even on their mobile devices. It's harder for them to view a full email or where or who it's coming from on a mobile device. So they're at the end of the day, they pop open their, their phone or whatever it may be, look at it and they start clicking links. And then that just opens up for, for disaster. Yeah. So make sure that the, the, end, the end users are trained. And uh, you know, that, that, as simple as it sounds, it's common sense. Make sure that you're, you're using some sort of tool set to train your employees what to look for and create, create gamification out of it. Create uh, you know, something, something enjoyable out of it. That, hey, you know, if you pass and you get this score, you get something from, you, know, you get a gift card or something along those lines. Because the at the end of the day, you've got to make it where the employee is going to do it, not just click, 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 throw it just for the sake of doing it. They have to understand and you know, digest it. Right. Yeah, we have that at Applied where uh, you can report the, the phishing and when you do it, you get it right. It has this big like congratulation thing that comes up and that for this uh, freakishly competitive person, I, I, I love seeing that congratulations screen come up. That's, that's my game for it. Like, yes, I got it. Some of them are getting really good. And I know a lot of organizations, they actually, they create a, a game out of it where yeah. they, you can actually log in and you can see where you stand compared to everybody else based upon there's, there's training and, and, and so on that you could do um, uh, within the portal within, again, depending upon the software you use, if it's no before, if it's iron scales or something along those lines, there's training modules inside of it. So again, like anything else, you know, we all have kids. Well, I wouldn't say we all, we have kids, you have kids, I have kids. Yeah. You got to train them. Right. It's that repetitive motion to get them in the mindset of what to do. Got to do the same thing for us adults too. You know, the older we get, you know, we tend to slip a little more. So that, that more frequent repetitiveness certainly helps out. Hey, innovators, make sure to start your new year off right. Don't be blindsided by rising IT costs due to outdated infrastructure and changing technologies. It's time to build digital resiliency at Applied Software's Digital Agility Summit a virtual conference on January 21st. Join this transformative AEC conversation that will unite you with peers and industry leaders for digital transformation enrichment. As a thank you for being a loyal listener, use the code BTG to get your free basic ticket. That's normally a $50 value. Go to digitalagilitysummit.com to claim your spot today. See you there. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, relating to the AEC industry, are there any other kind of particular risk with cybersecurity that maybe other industries may not have? Uh, you know, my comment to that off the cusp is no. Uh, and the reason I say that is hackers or, you know, as we call them spies. And the reason we call them spies is because they don't just get in and hack and leave. You know, a lot of times organizations are in, you know, hackers are in your or spies. They're mm -hmm. in your infrastructure for, could be days, months, or years. So they're in there spying. So 
we call them spies. Yeah. But they 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 don't you know they don't just target they don't just say well we're going to go after this firm or this firm or this specific sector. For an example, you, you see what happened recently to on the Microsoft side and even the um, uh, you know with FireEye and some of the other ones there uh, with their tool sets getting hacked. You know it's not specific targets per se uh, in any one industry. Okay, uh, I would say they're they're agnostic. They're, they're unbiased, they're unbiased in their approach. And of course, some industries may have a larger target on their backs, but generally speaking, every industry in every business should take cybersecurity serious. You know, we, Stambolness, you know, we're, we have our IT division, we're in the managed services space. So, when you say about does you know the AEC industry, are there any particular risks with cybersecurity compared to other industries? Um, hackers or spies may want to target an MSP. And the reason being is because we actually have access to, our tool sets have access to, could be over 10,000 devices. So why would they want to try to target individual businesses when they could just target a managed service provider? Now they breach the entire organization. They have access to all their clients. Mm. But again, in the, AEC, in the AEC industry, I wouldn't say there's any specific software programs or um, parameters that would particularly make them a prime target. Now, I will say that there are AEC firms in tandem with many other firms um, that ha will have a target on, or have an, or will have a target on their back as they start playing in, or maybe they already do, in the Department of Defense, the DOD space, governmental, federal, Department of Defense space. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if you hear about the terminology CMMC and what that means, these organizations that play in this space will be targets because they hold uh, sensitive data, called, it's called CUI. So they hold sensitive data that someone like Russia, China, uh, there's th third world entities, uh, nation states could want to access uh, for the detriment of the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, so you bring up CMMC. Can you unpack that? What does that really mean? Yeah, and, and you know, in an IT world, I mean, we, we like to throw around a lot of acronyms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just, it's just you know, when, when my wife, she works in the, the medical field and she comes home and throws around all these medical terms and she'll do it jokingly. I, I talk about, you know, the IT front, she'll just start throwing out medical acronyms. I'm like, all right, I get it. I'll stop. Right. <laughs> but CMMC, it stands for Cybersecurity uh, Maturity Model Certification. Okay. And historically, if businesses wanted to work with the DOD, they would do what they call self-certification or self-testing. Uh, mm -hmm. And they would fill out a questionnaire that included 110 controls as part of NIST Special Publication 800-171. And because so many businesses were not following this, the NIST requirements as they should have been, businesses, and, and just a statistic here quick, businesses that would have to fill out and complete the NIST 800-171 to bid on those contracts, those government contracts, estimated only approximately 39% on average completed a portion of those 110 controls. So the DOD said, look, you know what? There are no hardcore checks and balances in mm -hmm. place. 
to validate for sure these organizations are fulfilling what we require of them to bid on our contracts. So right. that's why this new framework has rolled out. It's called CMMC, which will have checks and balances. And plain and simple, if you don't align, you don't get the contracts. It's, it's, it's cut and dry, black and white. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell people, you know, it's just like a, um, a SOC audit or a, um, a, 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 one of the, the audits, the, or the manufacturers have to go through an ISO audit or something along those lines that somebody comes in and you will be audited. So there's a certification, an audit process, a certification process. And one of the big things for folks in the AEC space, and I've had many, many conversations uh, over the course of this, over 2020, because 2020, January 2020, is when they started the initial rollout and the mm-hmm. conversations. What's it going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think it was October timeframe of 2020, uh, when he really started to say, okay, you know what, now we're going to start going through and have folks going through becoming certifiers. And then what they call, they're called C3PAOs. And those are the third-party assessors. They're going to come in. So what's going to happen is an organization will bid on a contract. On that contract, it may or may not, depending upon uh, whether or not it handles uh, CUI, but it may or may not have do- uh, uh, a line items on there saying, this or you, in order to bid on this contract, you need to uh, adhere to CMMC level one, level two, three, four, five. Okay. If you're not adhering to those, you will not have, you cannot bid on that contract. If you are deciding to bid on those contracts and you are in the process of becoming compliant, um, it's a pretty stringent process uh, to become compliant, but you will have an auditor come through. They will tear you apart. Um, from what we understand is no one's, there's not an organization out there that's going to pass the first time or else the auditor's not doing his job. <laughs> They'll find something. Hopefully sure. it's something small that you can remediate within uh, 60 to 90 days. And then after that, if you pass, then you, you know, you're able to get the uh, certificate. And here's the key for these organizations. And again, these are not new conversations we've been having with customers. I look at it as an opportunity. Okay. You think about hard trends, soft trends in the industry. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Okay. You try to follow the market. Focus on the hard trends. We know cybersecurity isn't going away. Our internet, our world is becoming more and more connected every day. You look at the apps that keep coming out. Apps are out frequently. I, I say, what is that saying? There's an app for everything, which is right. true. Oh, you know, yeah. somebody thinks that, yo, we, we're missing this. I'll create an app for it. Are they secure? Who knows? You don't even know who the developer is half the time. Right. But what's going to happen is those organizations, as they walk through that process, they're going to have to clearly delineate where CUI is being housed, how it's being handled, who touches it. And again, that'll all be part of all of that will be part of that audit process. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be a heavy lift. But one of the things that I've been telling people is this, this, for the majority of, of NIST 171 and CMMC, it's, it's kind of basic cyber hygiene. You know, you're not only protecting your, your own data and your employees, your PII and PHI and all that kind of good stuff, but you're also protecting your client's data that passes through your infrastructure, gets stored in email or wherever else it may get stored, servers, depending upon if you have drawings. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind 
as organizations are thinking about the lift here for CMMC, you know, you should have a pretty solid foundation already that aligns with NIST, but, you know, shamefully, a lot of people don't, which is why the DOD is forcing this down now, because there's so many breaches that have happened and Russia has taken billions of dollars worth of confidential information from us. Yeah. Well, what kind of time commitment should firms kind of map out if they want to go and obtain CMMC? Um, good question. And again, we, we get that question quite frequently. Um, as we look at CMMC, now keep, now keep in mind, CMMC is new, okay? Mm-hmm. So people are asking, well, what does it look like? What's the certification process look like? What can I expect? My comment is, well, I can give you theoretically what I would envision and for what we know from the, the uh, accreditation board, but nobody knows. Yeah. Because nobody's been audited yet. Nobody's been certified yet. So it's, it's brand new, but from a process perspective, we've done, we've done quite a few, what we call CMMC readiness assessments, mm-hmm. uh, where we come in from a compliance and security perspective, and we evaluate the organization's infrastructure against uh, the uh, current uh, framework that has been added on, which is CMMC, that's been added on top of NIST E-171. And we evaluate their infrastructure against uh, those criteria or that framework. As from a timing perspective for CMMC, of CMMC readiness assessment, uh, we, we typically are about two to three months. Again, how large is the organization? And here are some things that need to be considered. Many are, and, and we're working right now. So I'll give you a good example. We're working now with a, uh, it's an engineering firm. They're about give or take 500 employees. They obtained a contract, uh, a sizable contract, multi-million dollar contract, multi-year contract. And somebody bid on it. And then it kind of rolls up to IT and there's no crap moment. Whoa, no, wait a minute here. We're not sure if we're equipped to handle the requirements as part of this RFP. And as we dug a little bit deeper, we decided we chose that, hey, you know what? The best solution for the client is to completely separate their current infrastructure, keep the current infrastructure the same. Just think about you guys, applied software. Say you had went out and bid on a contract, you want it, and it says, hey, you need to be CMMC level three compliant, and you need to show, you need to validate that, mm-hmm. all right? And you say, man, this is, this we can't change up our entire corporate infrastructure just to comply. So another scenario is to take this entire environment that's going to consist of CUI and CUI, what that is, is controlled unclassified information. So if you obtain drawings Mm -hmm. of a military base, if you obtain, say for an example, you're making a spring for a tank, Mm -hmm. you're going to obtain drawings on how to, you know, specifications, specs on how to make that. Right. CMMC machining or whatever it may be. That's CUI. All right. When that stuff comes through, we need to figure out, okay, how do we separate from our corporate infrastructure? So what we're going to do is we're going to take everything relating to this project, just spin it out into a completely separate environment. It's not even going to touch our corporate network. That in itself makes our lives, makes everybody's life a lot easier. Because when you ask about the lift, you know, what's, what's involved. We do have some organizations that um, they're in the manufacturing space. 
their entire organization, um, everyone in there touches some portion of CUI. Mm -hmm. So that means that that entire organization, their ERP system touches it. Their entire network, firewalls, um, every individual touches that a portion of that CUI, that, that project, that, that uh, RFP that comes through. So that at that point, from a lift perspective, we need to make sure that their entire organization is compliant. Right. And that's a heavy lift. It's easier for, but again, sometimes you gotta, you gotta figure out what's from a cost perspective as well. Yeah. What makes sense for the organization. Yeah. So really take the time on the front end to do that assessment, figure out where your vulnerabilities are and who really is touching it. And, and here's the thing, you know, everybody thinks with, with CMMC and even a portion of NIST that it's all IT. You know, IT needs to figure this out, but man, yeah. IT folks typically aren't compliance related. When you think about a, a, a soccer or ISO audit, those, those are, it's a different animal. It's a different person, yeah. different mindset. Right. And that's why for us, we have an individual that comes in and assesses, runs through the entire compliance factor sector. You know, do they have a security operations plan? And it, it revolves a lot around policy. You know, what, where, how, when, by the time that RFP comes in, people sign off, who has access to it? Where does it go after that? So a lot of it's process oriented. So that where, that's where it comes in from a compliance perspective, making sure you have an individual that can understand that component. After that, then they help put the pieces together, together to say, okay, here's what you need in order to make sure that you uh, meet the security requirements to mm -hmm. continue to do work in this space. And then that's where that, the, the technical, the high-level technical resources come into play. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. So you're going to be part of the, the Digital Agility Summit and Stand By Ness is a, a featured sponsor. I know you guys are going to be talking about uh, CMMC during the conference, but playing off the, the conference name, how do you define that digital agility uh, that is, is needed considering, you know, what we've talked about with cybersecurity and everything that's happened over the course of the last year. Well, when you think about digital and agility, and of course, with, and again, I'll go back to COVID, you know, everyone had to be agile. If you weren't agile, good luck trying to survive. Yeah. I mean, just trying to figure out how to, how to move your business to a, a, a different culture mindset. And when you think about digital, you think about where your information is stored. How is it easily accessible? How is it backed up? How is it restored? But when you think about digital agility, when I hear that, I think to myself, easily accessible at a fast pace. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. How quickly can I access what? Uh, in a secure manner to be able to operate at a highly effective level. And a lot of organizations, they're still not there. You know, we talk about, and, and, and Todd, these are not, all this terminology, you know, we throw out, you know, digital transformation, digital agility, yeah. uh, even, even, you know, down to simple MFA, multi-factor authentication from a cybersecurity perspective. Some people in their minds are like, man, that's, that's common sense. Hey, it is, but guess what? A lot of organizations aren't doing it. So if it's so simple, why aren't they doing it? Well, when it really comes down to the nuts and bolts, it's a lot of times it's, it's a decent lift for IT resources to deploy across organizations. So a lot of times it gets, gets pushed on the back burner and they don't want to outsource it. They don't want to bring somebody else in to assist with it because they figure, hey, we'll get to it at some point. Mm -hmm. But on that digital agility uh, piece of it, my goodness, the comment that I made earlier uh, at the beginning here you know, with the traction of cloud adoption and, and utilization of, of the uh, security um, components to that, man, we've we've had clients uh, that we've probably been pressing for the better part of the last two to two and a half years to make the cloud adoption so they can be more agile yeah. and streamline from a digital perspective, streamline what they're doing, you know, consolidate certain systems, Um put processes and controls in place that need to be in place. Again, it all has to come back to better business. You, know, you can't just throw IT at something um, like a lot of people have done historically and still do today. There has to be a methodology behind it to understand how's it going to impact? How's it going to allow us to do better business for our customers, mm -hmm. all right? And we think about this cloud adoption We've had clients for the past two and a half years, we've been trying to get them over off of legacy hardware. And it was like pulling teeth. Man, I'll tell you what, as soon as COVID hits, give it, I, I think the June, the July to August timeframe, man, we've, I've had people coming out of the woodwork that I've kind of just wrote off a little bit and said, you know what, they're, they're stuck to on-prem, man. They're not making a move because this whole cloud thing scares them. Yeah. They are, they're jumping real quick. Yeah. <laughs> We wrote a handful of clients over already onto, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever environment, cloud environment, but the big one now is Azure Windows Virtual Desktop, uh, Azure WVD. Um, and a big portion of that too, the clients that, that the businesses need to think about. And again, looking at the trends, have you ever tried to order hardware lately at the consumer level, a business grade laptop, desktop, even think about when, when COVID first hit, did you ever try to get a um, uh, webcam? Yeah, good luck. Non-existent. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And here's the thing. I've been ordering, we, we provide software, we provide hardware, et cetera, from our distribution channels to our entire client base. And I'm telling you, it is difficult to find the, the, the standard laptop grades now, laptop builds. And if you do order the stuff, it's pushed out anywhere between 45 and 60 days. When historically I could have it in the office within seven to 10 business days. Yeah. So as I'm thinking about that and clients are like frustrated, like, look, we just acquired a company or we hired three people. I need devices. I'm like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I can't get it. You're not going to get it direct from Dell, HP, Lenovo, Microsoft, because they're selling to the large, large companies like Amazon that go on and throw them online. But it's very difficult to gather or to get the, uh, the hardware. So in my mind, I, I'm thinking, okay, how do we overcome that barrier? Because I don't foresee it any uh, stopping anytime soon. 
especially when you think about where are a lot of the components made that, that, that fall into these machines. It's China. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's happened historically with some of the taxes, the import-export stuff, the tariffs. So as we think about that, what other scenarios are out there for business to continue to operate at a high level without these hiccups? And it is an Azure WBD environment, or again, something of the like, where in the event that they a laptop or computer dies, they just go run down the street or use a, a Chromebook. Buy a three $400 Chromebook, as long as they have internet access, all the security, everything lies within that, that virtualized environment. Yeah. But it's just a mindset. It's, it's people, again, the digital transformation piece of this. And it's my job to be able to present that to business owners to help them understand the total cost of ownership. You may not see it now, but I also like to tell that I always use the Ronnie effect. You know, everybody asks, well, what's my ROI? And I say, well, what's your risk of not investing? Sure. I like you know? that. Yeah. And we've had organizations that have been dead, that they're stuck. And I'm like, look, you don't want to invest. I'm sorry, but I don't know what to tell you. I yeah. mean, technology moves at such a rapid pace. You, you've got you've got to stay on top of it. Do you think it's more uh, an education uh, component that people just need to be educated on this space, or is it a, a motivation that they just need the right incentives to make that transition? It's both. It is a hot, see going back to some of those clients. We've educated them. We yeah. broke it down in, in, in you know to defined numbers from an ownership perspective. And it really took the motivation of something like <laughs> this darn virus <laughs> to say, look, you know, they come to say, we can't work. Right. Because we can't have people in the office. It's pretty high motivation to change. <laughs> <laughs> high motivation there, which again, this is not motivation that I desire to have going forward <laughs> by any means. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, how do people find out more about Standby Ness and get a hold of you? Yeah, and, and of course, you know, like anything else, I always say Google's your friend. You know, you go out and Google Standby Ness. They can certainly take a look at our website. Uh, there's a technologies tab on there. Uh, and it'll drop down. I think I think it even has my bug shot on there and it takes me to, to, you know, to send me a message. But also too, you know, I tell folks, look, the world that we live in, it, it's, it's a world of information sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, what I know, I'm not the smartest guy out there by any means. Uh, and I surround myself with people smarter than I am, which is, it's good. Um, and I always say information sharing is the key to everyone becoming successful. So if, if there's anyone out there, you know, when they hear, hear this here and they're listening and they say, you know what, I'm not sure about technology, I would like a second opinion, not sure about CMMC uh, or, or how to set up my network to, to make sure that we're efficient. What is this whole cloud thing about? Um, help me understand total cost of ownership, risks involved. Um, shoot me an email, um, you know, pkeeney, P-K-E-E-N-E-Y at stanballnest.com uh, or feel free to call, uh, call me direct 717-870-8609. I'll be more than happy to to sit down and have a conversation. I mean, I love those conversations because it gives me a, a sense of of uh, the ability to feel out where they're at in their journey. Sure. So then I can use them as uh, uh, not necessarily benchmarking or benchmarks but, or um, metrics, but but um, 
real world scenarios mm-hmm. uh, to say, hey, you know what? This is where other organizations are. Here's where you're at. You're at a good place or you're at a bad place. Right. Yeah. And as we talked about with the assessments, it's that's super important to know how you stack up at the start of your journey. So then you can figure out what you need to put in place. Oh, for sure. And when you think about, you, you said about the assessments and the journey piece of that, you know, so many organizations are, are, you know, coming to us and saying, Hey, you know what, we want to truly understand our risk um, as it relates to cyber uh, because they right now they have clients asking. So sometimes if you bid on a contract uh, as part of those contracts, uh, it'll require you to submit some information regarding your cyber liability policies, your professional liability policy, and just a, an overall uh, snapshot of how are you securing your, your information and your client's data? Because mm-hmm. they don't want to work with someone that's not investing like they are. I don't. Nobody right. should. If you're not protecting my data like I'm protecting yours and your cu- the customer's data, I don't want to do business with you. Because I can't, if you get it, if you're breached, then that can come back on me. And then, of course, it goes to my client base. Not going to have it. Yeah. So a lot of organizations are, are having us come in and perform. Um, could be twice a year, annual, biannual um, security assessments to help leadership, board members, and IT folks understand where their gaps are. And to be honest with you, some of it, the, the simplest uh, security flaws that we find misconfigurations, um, insecure ports, just it, some of it's pretty simple, but guess what? Those are the simple things that are gonna get you. Mm. And what I mean by you know insecure ports or misconfigurations, I know a lot of times, you know, folks will up and open, open up an outside RDP port or something along those lines, you know, for somebody remote in for, for something, one thing or another, maybe they have an, an outside consultant that helps work on their you know, the ERP system or what have you, and mm-hmm. they provide them access to perform some hot fixes, patches, updates, whatnot, whatnot, and they forget to close it. Right. That's that's an opening right there waiting, waiting. That's a disaster waiting to happen. So again, those are just some of the things that they have us come in just to catch, keep them, keep them honest, I guess, if you will, and on top of things, because hey, I've been in the the uh, single entity IT world for many years, and it's it's so simple to to overlook things and become inundated with the day-to-day support requests that may come through. Just make sure that you're doing doing due diligence in managing cybersecurity. And again, I always say not only for yourself, but for your customers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my last question is uh, what does innovation mean to you? Always learning, always. And again, it goes back to the, uh, the agility side of it. Uh, always creating, always learning and always moving. You're always innovating. You're always moving forward. Um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting it here, but there's that, that, that uh, kid movie. Oh, my kids used to watch it over and over um, with the one little boy who goes back in time. And uh, anyway, I digress, but it's all about innovation. Yeah. You, you, you fail, you get back up and you try to do, you, you do it again. You think about some of the greats out there. You've got Elon Musk and some of the others that just continue to drive forward. Some of the things that you think are just ridiculous. Just think about it, you know, the stuff with, with SpaceX and going to space. Ah, right. Not gonna, now look at it. <laughs> That's innovation right there. That's moving forward despite what all the naysayers have to say and continue to drive forward. Just, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you an innovative thing here. 
just like I mentioned, the, the opportunity and the trend, the hard trend in cybersecurity when you think about CMMC. Yeah. We've had conversations with customers and they're in the wait and see mode. Like, well, it, it's a heavy lift, man. It, it's, you know, it's going to cost us, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to do this readiness assessment, plus what you guys recommend to implement. Hey, we're going to wait and see. My comment to that is you're not innovating. You're in the wait and see mode. Somebody else is going to go out there and innovate. They're going to get ahead of you and they're going to have that certification. They're going to have that CMMC stamp. And guess what? They're going to get the bids. And a lot of those bids that they bid on the DOD space, some of those contracts are for, could be two, three, five, 10 years. Right. Guess what? You get, you're not going to have for a while. No. So get out of this wait and see mode. It's for me, I take, I take risks, but those risks are certainly calculated. It has to make sense. It has to check the boxes. And again, I keep going back to trends. Take a look at those trends. You know, Stanball Nest was part of the anticipatory organization through uh, Dan from Dan Burris. And that's one of the things that we focus on. I say that's why we're so at Stanball Nest. We're innovative. You know, continue to press forward when everybody else is stepping back. Yeah. Love it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining us here. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hey, love it, man. I, anytime. And hey, I look forward to the uh, Digital Agility Summit here in January. That's yeah. January already. So, shortly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be here before you know soon. it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. Hey, no problem. Take care. And now it's time for my takes on this episode. First take having the right cybersecurity to protect your data is a major concern that is grabbing the attention of the C suite. Look at those common sense solutions to build resiliency. Take time on the front side to do your due diligence in assessing your tolerance and how quickly you can and need to bounce back. It is important to know your real vulnerabilities and which departments have a role. It will be more than just IT. Second take, digital agility is a must in this day and age. As Phil put it, that means the data is easily accessible at a fast pace. But a word of caution, you can't just throw technology at something and hope for the best. There needs to be a process and methodology behind your technology. It is very important to understand the impact on your business and how it will allow for a better experience for yourself and your clients. Final take, as Phil said, the world we live in is all about information sharing. I agree, digital transformation is a key component in embracing this world. It is as much a mindset as anything else, but a needed one for future growth. Thank you to those listening. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.